Been thinking yet about what you're going to have for lunch? I, I of course, have not, but I'm much more spiritual. <laughs> and, and, and besides, I, I had a meal on Friday. I, I can't tell you how great this meal was. It was unbelievably good. Three courses, so we're going to talk about three courses of meals today. We had the rabbit food, that was okay. Then we, then we had beef wellington, which was unbelievably good, and polished it off with a dessert that had the word sin in it. How can you lose? It was, it was great. There, there's not a ton, a ton of memorable meals. Mostly we would just eat because we get hungry and then we go back to life and then we have to eat again. What are, what are you hungry for today? We talked last week, the kids' musical was all about a special meal that anybody who was there would never forget. It wasn't, people weren't going to die, but they were hungry, and Jesus took two pieces of bread and five tiny little fish and fed 5,000 families. It was unbelievable. They'll never forget it. And today, we're going to talk about a different one of the meals of the Bible. And I want to ask you again, what are you hungry for? Who do you identify with? This comes from, uh, the first course comes from a different part of the story. It's what little Miss Cloudy with a chance of meatballs was talking about. That's the story of Exodus. The Israelites have been trapped as slaves in Egypt for a couple hundred years. They were rescued, not because Moses was so smart, but because God split the Red Sea and let them go off And they got through the Red Sea, and they are on their way to the Promised Land. Now, the Promised Land, where they end up in Palestine, is only about a three-week walk. They could make it in a month easy, and somehow it takes them 40 years. But they're on their way, and this is what happens next. Exodus 16. All the Israelites set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin on the way to Sinai, the Sinai Desert. On the 15th day of the second month out of Egypt, in the desert, they all grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They all grumbled against Moses. Remember that phrase, they all grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Last night in the kids' sermon, Jordan said to the kids, have any of you ever complained or whined? Have any of you ever grumbled? All the kids' hands were up. She forgot to do that today, so let's just do a little reality check. (laughs) This week, have any of you complained? Have any of you whined? Have any of you grumbled? Is anybody sitting next to you lying? (laughs) It says, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They said, if the Lord had just let us die... In Egypt, we sat around pots of meat there and ate all the food we've wanted, but you brought us out into this desert to starve to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people should go out in the morning and gather enough for that day. That way, I'll test them to see whether they'll follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, They should prepare what they bring in twice as much as the other days. This is how he created the Sabbath. You don't work on the seventh day. You just eat and and relax. And so for 40 years, 
God supplied them with manna every morning. And quail filled the skies and filled the ground so they had birds to eat every night. The problem was they kept whining because what happened was they were out of Egypt, but Egypt was not out of them. After all those years, they had the DNA of slavery inside them and they didn't act free yet. They had the taste buds of Egypt as they headed to the promised land. So they whined to Moses. They were in the land in between. And by a thousand years later, in Jesus' time, they had perfected the art of whining. Not much had changed. This is the third course. The second course is last week. It says, after Jesus fed the 5,000 people, the crowd wanted to make him be the king. So Jesus left them. And it says in John 6, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, you're not looking for me because you saw the signs that I performed and you think I'm from God. You're looking for me because you ate the bread and you had your fill. So don't work for food that spoils, but work for food that leads to eternal life that the Son of Man will give you. That was Jesus' name for himself, Son of Man. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then we get a little Jewish teaching. This is how the Jews learned. They would say, and then what happened? And then what happened? So look at what happens next. Jesus says, work for eternal life bread. Then the crowd asked him, well, what work does God require? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. Okay, but then they asked him, well, what sign will you give me so we can believe you? What will you do? Now, that sounds pretty wimpy to us, doesn't it? But somebody has just said to you, look, God sent me here. If you just trust me with your life, all will be well. I don't think it's unreasonable to ask for some sign before you either follow them over the cliff or you put them in the loony bin. They asked for a sign. The Jews said, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness for 40 years. That's what we just read. It's written in the Torah. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus replied, you know, it wasn't Moses actually that gave them the bread, but my father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, okay, 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 but then they said, well then, sir, give us this bread all the time. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. But I told you all this. You've seen me in action, and still you don't believe. A little later he says, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I'll raise them up at the last day. And it says, at this, the Jews all began to grumble. It's a full circle. They grumble with Moses and Aaron, and now they're grumbling with Jesus because they don't like what they're hearing they, they whined because they said, they whined because Jesus had said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. But the Jews said, wait a minute, isn't this Yeshua, little Jesus, 
Isn't this Joseph's son? Don't we know his mom and dad? How can he say now, I came down from heaven? And that part of the story, this meal, this meal does not end well. Which meal do you want? Which of the three course meals are you hungry for today? Let me ask you this, with your non-religious hat on. Are, are you happy with the spiritual diet that fills your head, your heart, your mind? These days, when you wake up, does your soul sing or are you grumbling? Does your spiritual diet these days, however you describe that, does your spiritual diet fill you with joy or are you more and more fearful or are you angry? It comes from what you're feeding your soul. Do you have a sense that I am an eternal being, a beloved child of God? Or do you wake up and go, geez, it's Tuesday already. What is your diet talking to you about? Let's, let's talk about the three courses meal. Let's talk about manna. And let's start where the Jews started. It says, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had just let us die in Egypt. We sat around there, around pots of meat, and we ate all the food we wanted. Here is the first example in history of fake news. I'm not really, I'm not being political, I think. But when they're telling the story, really, I'm not, uh, th when they're telling the story, they're forgetting about the whips. They're not remembering the beatings. They, they skip over the part where they cry out to God, save us, they're killing us here. They remember the smells of the feasts of Egypt. Remember those huge pots of meat? I love that smell. But what they forget is they didn't get to eat that. That's what they served to their masters. They got the scraps that were left in the kitchen. I, th I think the challenge is they preferred what was familiar and they were afraid to go out and get something new. I think it's still true. I think many of you still prefer the food of Egypt, the meat pots of Egypt, to going out and trying something new. And that's, it's hard to avoid. In our culture, in our culture that says, if you look like this, like this impossibly beautiful woman or man, if you own this shiny toy, if you have this political position, then you're going to make it. Fill your soul with this food. That's Egyptian food. It's hard to avoid, very hard to avoid. And it's hard to learn to like the new food. I told you about this great meal. It is harder to learn to love rabbit food than beef wellington. My wife loves both. She is eating healthily. We need to start with a check of how you fill your mind. What are you filling your soul with? How does the bread of God get into your heart? How would your life look like if you were eating this diet instead of that? Remember, they were out of Egypt, but Egypt was not out of them. What are the signs in your life that your spiritual diet is God-deficient or Egypt-heavy? Now, it's easy when we're talking about physical diets, right? 
You could tell right away. I'm eating too much. I had to buy the double wide robe this last time. You get on the scales. You're afraid to get on the scales. Your clothes don't fit well. You huff and puff when you run up the stairs. You can tell what's happening with your physical diet by the way that your physical body is responding. But what about your, what about your inside person? Could I tell something about your spiritual diet by the way that you're living? Are you eating your fruits? Let's talk about the fruits for a second. God says if you start to eat the bread of life over and over, you're going to have fruits that come out of that. Here are the fruits of God's diet. It's love and joy and peace. Increasingly, it's patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And the idea is this. If you want to know how your diet is doing, ask yourself, am I more joyful than I was two years ago? If you're ready for the advanced class, ask yourself, am I more patient than I was three years ago? And if you want the truth, don't ask yourself. Don't look in the mirror because the mirror was made in Egypt. Don't look in the mirror. If you really want to know how you're doing, ask someone that you know. Maybe they're sitting in the pew right next to you. Friend, am I kinder than I used to be? Am I grumpier than I used to be? Do you have the guts to ask somebody else how your soul looks? Or do you want to just say, no, I'm fine just knowing this? So, the Israelites complain because they like the food of Egypt. The Jewish crowd does the same thing with Jesus, and I think you and I do the same thing with Jesus. We complain because God wants to change our diet. We're like kids at the table who go, I hate peas. We are, Heather, Heather Hood gave me this cartoon the other day. It's a a picture of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and the crowd is there, and they said, I can't eat that. I'm a vegan. (laughs) Has that fish been tested for mercury? Is that bread (laughs) gluten-free? Can we go back to Chick-fil-A? Every day we pray, every day we're in church at least, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. But what kind of bread do we want? Are we really wanting the bread of life, which we know is good for us, or do we want Egyptian wonder bread? Give us this day our daily bread. That leads us to the idea that the first checkup is what's your diet like, the second checkup is what's your schedule like. I told you that when we pray, we are saying, give us this day our daily bread. Not give us this month, give us this year, give us this day our daily bread. How often are you eating the bread of heaven? In the, in the story of the Israelites, God says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people should go out every day and gather enough for that day. This way I'll test them and see whether they'll follow my instructions. The the part, I don't know if Jordan said this part, the problem is that manna is only good for one day. You have to eat new stuff every day because manna does not get stale. Manna rots. And when manna rots, little worms get into it. 
You either have to eat it or throw it away. You eat it every day. You cannot eat it whenever you want. It doesn't work that way. God says, let's see if they trust me enough to follow my instructions. Or will they start to hoard that spiritual experience? Or will they overeat and try to get enough in one morning to last them a whole week? Or will they overwork? You can't gorge on God's food one meal a week and live different than the Egyptians. Why isn't your life changing the way the pastor says it can change? Well, part of it is how often are you eating the bread of heaven instead of the Egyptian wonder bread that you see on TV or at work? What's your diet frequency? Now, I'm, 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 um, I need to stop here for just a second. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to help you self-diagnose. Is there positive, God-oriented change happening in your life, or are you just getting religious? You know, religious people are a lot like manna. They stink. They can tell you how bad you're doing, but they can't show you how God is blessing them. Are you gathering manna every day, or are you going from feast to feast? We laugh at those people that we say, oh, they're the Christmas and Easter crowd. How can God change them? Well, how well would you do if you ate a big meal Sunday at 11 and didn't eat for the rest of the week? How is your spiritual menu going? That leads to the third meal check. You check your diet, you check your schedule, then you check your work. At, at the core, this idea is how do you get eternal life? What do I have to work for to get to eternal life? That's what the crowd asked Jesus. They say, then the crowd asked Jesus, what work does God require? What do I have to do? What do I have to do to have eternal life? Now, I have been thinking about this for several days now. I had, uh, I had hoped that a friend of mine would come here. We've talked every time he's uh, around. We have a, a good time. Uh, he's not a religious guy, really. He, he grew up. Uh, Catholic, and, and it, it singed him. It burned him. And, uh, and he is, I, I love this guy. He's a great guy. He's a lot of fun. He's a very accomplished person. He's good to have around. He's good to be around. He is life-filled, and he's happier than a lot of the religious people I know. So anyway, all that to say, he, he said, uh, hey, are you talking? Not are you preaching. You talking? Yeah, well, then I, I, I'll probably come by. That's him up there behind the pillar with his arms like this. No, no. I just, um, and and, and I, I, I've thought about this guy a lot because I really like this guy. And I can see him asking this question. What do I have to do? All of my life I've worked hard and I've done whatever was required. And I've done more. He would say, I'm not religious, but I live by the idea that my Good deeds should speak for themselves. I screwed up the first marriage. I'll admit it. That was my fault. But look how hard I've worked to love and be loved the second time. He, he, he says, I'm trying to let my good deeds speak for themselves because good people will do all right if God is fair. And, uh, 
and, and my friend wants to see what I think of that. He, he is one of my, uh, he's a hell of a pastor, friends. Everybody, every pastor needs a guy who says, you're a hell of a pastor. How do you take that? <laughs> but I, I think what he means is I, I don't want just more of the religious stuff. How do I get there from here? And what I want to say to my friend is that's exactly what the crowd is asking. What do I have to do? What works does God require to have eternal life? This is Jesus' answer. Jesus says it's not about what you do. This is the work of God, to believe in the one that he has sent. When he says to believe in the one that he has sent, that he means to believe in me. And when he says to believe in me, what Jesus is really saying is, this is the work of God to trust me, to put your faith in me, not how hard you work. I'd say to my friend, hey, stop trying to be good enough. Stop trying to be religious. You're not very good at it. Stop knocking religious people because they're not very good at it either. I'd say to my friend, what you need to do is you need to ask Jesus to feed your soul because right now your soul is filled with pride. You think you're better than these religious people. And right now your soul is probably filled with fear a little. How is this going to end up? Don't work harder. Ask Jesus to feed your soul. Jesus says, my Father's will is that everybody who looks to me and believes in me will have eternal life. I hope my friend hears that and he says, all right, let's talk about this. I told you that this story, this particular meal story, doesn't end well. Some of them are great, but this story does not end well. The crowd gets angry at Jesus. They say, who do you think you are? Jesus has to leave them again. Our natural inclination is to resist changing our diet to resist the offer of the bread of life. For some of you, you don't want to leave the food of Egypt for the bread of life because it sounds so narrow. And nobody in our society wants to sound narrow-minded, do they? It sounds so narrow-minded that Jesus says, I am the only bread of life. I am the only thing that you need, and I'm the only way to get there. That sounds so narrow-minded. But what if, what if, Three plus three did not equal seven. Would I be narrow-minded? Or would I be telling the truth? The second reason I think many people don't switch over to the bread of life is uh, because Jesus says, trust me, how can, how can we trust him? The Jews said, we're not trusting you as God. We know your mom and dad. We've seen you when you were a squirt. How can we believe that you're God? We have the other problem, don't we? We don't trust Jesus to be God because we don't know Jesus. And the reason we don't know Jesus is because we're not spending time eating the bread of life. And that's not about going to church, although that helps. Chewing on the bread of life means opening God's Word and hearing God speak to you. It means spending time with friends who are not religious but are trying to follow Jesus. It means seeing what God wants you to do and doing that instead of what you want to do. It may mean something as simple as going out for a long walk and saying, God, help me. Maybe the most sincere prayer you make all winter, God, help me. 
eating the bread of life is what gives us life. The third reason that uh, a lot of my friends have not switched over from Egyptian Wonder Bread is because it's in the American character to want to do something. You have worked hard. You own your own firm. You have worked hard. You're retired. You have worked hard. You got this great family and a good reputation. I want to do something. If only to show that I'm good enough if God is fair. Thank God God is not fair. That's what I'd say to my friend. You better pray that God is not fair or you and I are in a lot of trouble. (laughs) I want to do something good. And Jesus says, I don't want you to do something good. I want you to come to me and trust me. You know, in the end, in this story, the only ones that come back for more of the Jesus food are the losers. They're the prostitutes and the sinners and the crooks and the ones with bad reputations, because for them, this sounds like good news. You mean I don't have to earn my way in? Good, because I can't earn my way in. They're the only ones who say, give me some of that bread, would you? And the ones who spend a lot of time with Jesus, his followers, when the rest of the crowd goes away, Jesus turns to them and says, you you going away too? And they said, Jesus, where else would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Only you have the bread of life. How's your spiritual diet today? Are you eating the bread of life or are you starving to death on Egyptian junk food? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you very much that you, uh, you want to comfort people that are afflicted, that when we prayed like Rich did for people who are afflicted, that you want to offer them comfort, that you say, come to me, all you who are weary and broken down, and I'll give you rest. You want to comfort the afflicted, but on, on days when we're pretty comfortable, you want to afflict the comfortable. You want to wean us off of Egyptian junk food And help us taste and see that the grace of God is embedded in your word to us. And the love of God means I don't have to compare and I don't have to work hard. I have to trust Jesus. I pray for my friends here who are going to go out to a good meal. And whether they are feasting or fasting this week, I pray that you will offer them the bread of life and fill their soul with love that will not let them go. Bless us all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Amen.